Welcome to the Gold Digger podcast series, a series that investigates the mysterious decline of Australian Rugby Union. It's a fan's journey into the void to pick up the pieces of Australian Rugby Union and find a path forward to fortune and glory. I'm your host and humble rugby servant, Matt Durrant. And welcome to episode 34. Ah, yes, that is exactly what it sounds like. A deep sigh after another home series loss to the Poms of all people. Uh, I'm getting better with these sorts of defeats. I, I only uh, destroyed a couple of cushions and let out a, a one short little primal scream uh, at the end of the game. Very frustrating. I'm not going to analyse the game. There are some other podcasts that have done uh, and are doing a much better job of that. Um, pick and drive, rugby report card, uh, draft rugby, you know the guys. Um, and, and I think they're probably a little more uh, insightful and possibly more productive than I'm going to be. So anyway, I'm not going to say much more about that, but I, I imagine we're all sort of still... Uh, Thinking of what have, what could have been after that first stirring game in in Perth, I'm going to forge on today with this episode. Uh, there is an announcement very imminent on the film. It was possibly going to be this week, but I've had to just delay it. Um, but it is very imminent on the film for Australian audiences. So watch this space. This recent series between Australia and England was actually previously known as the Cook Cup, which Many people probably knew. Named, obviously, after the explorer, Captain James Cook. The Cook Cup is no more, and instead, the cup between Australia and England has been renamed the Ella Mobs Trophy. Uh, Mobs after Edgar Mobs, who played for England and was tragically killed in action on the Western Front, World War I. And Ella after, well, pretty sure if you're listening to this podcast, you don't need any introduction to that illustrious family. My guest today is one of those family members, Glenn Eller, Wallaby 621. Glenn came up with his brothers Mark and Gary through Australia's rise in the late 70s and 80s. The famous Invincible Schoolboy Tour, which started it all off, and then Wallaby Caps between 1982 and 1985. Since hanging up his boots, he's turned his hand to coaching with a varied career that has taken him from Australia, Japan to Canada pretty much all around the world and to this day he still has a pretty active role in um, sort of sports consulting um, and is, is pretty active with programs that have been run either by Rugby Australia or other rugby organisations. As the gold digger investigation of sorts continues on, Glenn to me is precisely the sort of person I love talking to. Yeah, he's someone who has come through the Australian system as a player and also a coach and he has decades of experience and insight to share. And he's still very much an enthusiastic and keen servant to the game of rugby to this day. So, without further ado, this is me and Glenn Eller. Glenn, thanks so much for uh, joining me. Um, I've, I've been probably spending the last two years talking to a lot of people from Australian rugby, from um, you know, both players and coaches and obviously um, fans like myself. But you're probably one of the first people who I'm, I'm, I'm really, I've been fascinated with many stories. You know, I'm always interested about how people get into the game, but also the journey they go on. And I think, you know, you, yourself 
has a story that for me is fascinating, not just because of, you know, the personal journey you and your, your brothers and, and family have taken, but also the fact that you, you came from sort of the, I, what I think is the, the epicenter of where rugby in Australia really happened, you know, around sort of yeah. the Eastern suburbs of, a, of, of Sydney and, and, and all the, um, the characters, but could you just, I guess, briefly give me, and I'm sure anyone listening will know that the story already, but just, I guess, briefly give us a bit of a background into how you how you started playing rugby? How you got into rugby union in the first place? I was I was basically we were leaguings, mate. We we come from a league uh, family, and uh, obviously lived in the South Sydney area, and um, and we just played league, and that was all we wanted to play. It wasn't until we um, went to the local high school, which was Matchville uh, High and um, or Matto High, and they didn't play league there. The uh, the headmaster or the person in terms of sport changes from rugby league to rugby union and um i mean we never used to watch rugby on tv or anything like that it was just as far as we were concerned it was a boring game yeah um when i say we i'm obviously relating to my other two brothers and and our friends and um we didn't like it that much and it wasn't until we we started going to the school and got used to rugby and then yeah this this is not a bad game so basically we, we played Rugby on a Wednesday, and then we played rugby on a Saturday morning, and then rugby league on on the Sunday. But there was never any indication we wanted to, you know, dedicate our, ourselves to rugby. It was just the way that it won. We we had a pretty good side. We had uh, Eddie Jones, obviously, was in in that team as well, and a lot of other good players. Lordy Walker was another Wallaby was in that that team. Um, you know, so we we used to build the crap out of everybody else, which was good. <laughs> Not. Not physically wise, but scoreboard wise, and um, and we 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 all of a sudden we found that it's a game that we like to play because it was a bit more expansive. It wasn't as uh, structured in those days as what what it is today, and and we just like uh, we, we we took to it pretty quickly. And you know, as I said, we were cleaning people up in terms of the scores and and competitions, and and that was the end of it. After that. I guess yeah, coming directly from rugby league, and what what sort of age are we talking about when you first um, when you first sort of came across and converted? Well, we picked it up when we were thirteen, so we started yeah. playing when we were thirteen. Um, I remember playing my uh, last game of rugby league when I was eighteen. Um, you know, uh, I was playing at Redfern Oval in the South Sydney competition, and they said, uh, you know, we want you to come and play. Uh, for the President's Cup for South Sydney, which is, you know, the, the next step before you go into the grade. And I said, mate, that's the last, last game I'm playing. And, and you know, my brother, you know, he was captain of a, a couple of the uh, South Sydney uh, age groups coming through. So he was a very good player as well. And it's funny because he played in the centres. I played fullback and 5'8". And Mark played uh, hook in rugby league. Yeah. So... We're a bit all, all over the place, but you know, so we were right into it, and you know, that probably towards um, you know, getting picked in the Australian schoolboys, mm. probably that probably you know, cut it off that rugby league, we're not going to play that anymore, and we just stick with rugby for them then on end, yeah. I mean, look, and, and obviously, that that schoolboy tour has been discussed. Uh, at length, I think you had um, probably a reunion a few years ago. Maybe there'll be another reunion in a few. <laughs> We're having a few reunions. We had one. Uh, we had one in uh, February this year at the Gold Coast, and then we're we're looking at November in in Hobart. So we're taking it all over the place. But look, <laughs> the reason because of 
you know, unfortunately some people are, are getting old and, you know, mm. some people are sort of, you know, passing away, which is really sad, but, you know, that's that's life. And so I think we're, we're trying to have a two, two, uh, two a year at this stage. So it is the schoolboy tour that will never end, effectively. <laughs> well, it, it never does. I mean, it. I mean, if you can something on, you know, this has lasted for a long, long time. I mean, mm. you, you go to people and you're going to meet people for the first time, and you know, oh, you're part of the schoolboy tour. Yeah, okay. Wally Lewis was in there. Yes, he was in that. You know, he's had a lot of wallabies. I think we had about seven or eight wallabies that come out of that um, out of that uh, group of kids that went away for nine weeks. Yep. So, you know, so well, yes, it was good fun. And look, um, when when we catch up, well, we don't talk a lot of rugby, to be honest with you. We talk about our kids and grandkids. Not that I've got any, but what we're doing and stuff like that. A lot of the guys are retired, but you know, they they've got a, a lot of business interest still, and you know, it's, it's good to catch up with them. Um, you know, a couple of times a year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like, I mean, certainly an incredibly special um, group of players and, and obviously a really, you know, a special coach who was also um, your high school coach in, in Jeff Mould. How, how critical do you think that was for your, you know, certainly the players from Matraville that were part of that squad, but for the development of the team that you had a sort of a coach and players that were sort of coming from sort of the same environment and then just moving up towards obviously a very higher level well, of rugby. Yeah, it was it was funny, you're right. We had um we had Moldy who's uh who's our coach and you know and he said to us, you know, you have got to stop playing rugby league and I said, Well why 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 do we have to stop playing? You know, we've been doing this for years and he said, Well there's a an Australian schoolboys team that's gonna to travel to the UK and, you know, thrive through Japan and all that type of thing for nine weeks. And, you know, there's a, there's a good chance you, you could make that team. And I said, well, oh, yeah, sure, you know. And Mark can go with the same thing. Yeah, well, why, why should we do that, take a punt on that? He said, well, I'm the coach, so I think you've got a fair good chance. So mm. that's why we all sort of, you know, give it up. But still, you have to go through the process and get picked in New South Wales and school boys where myself and Mark um, and Eddie, were, we went, we got selected in school boys twos and Gary and, Lloydy and our next door neighbour Charlie, he was in. They were all in the one, so mm. you know they still had to do the hard work and play against all the you know Mick O'Connors and Wally Lewis's to before he can get to that stage. But we ended up winning that tournament. Um, the seconds beat the first, so that was that was good. Yeah. Um, and we won. I think it was only it was a really close game. It was six three of all things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a bit of a launching pad, obviously, and propelled us into. Yeah, everyone knowing who we are and what we're doing and all that type of thing, especially especially Aboriginal kids because you know there's a, you're not supposed to play rugby mm. if you're an Aboriginal. You're doing other things, and you know I think we I think we broke that mould. I guess sort of yeah that 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 that's certainly sort of a one aspect that I think you know people look back and and look at not not just I guess the the cultural backgrounds but also the the public school kids that were playing and coming through and less of the, yeah. it wasn't dominated by private schools. It, you know, that's something that's obviously massively changed and there are so many factors for that. But, but looking back, do you think having your, you know, your family, your school, perhaps even your environment of, of La Perouse and, and Matraville was, was critical in, you know, just, you know, the, the sort of characters that you guys had to, to take onto the field? hundred percent. I think, you know, playing you know, rugby league in, in, 
a fairly tough area. You know, the South Sydney Comp was a fairly tough area, you know, with all the different teams. I mean, you had to be, you know, we were little skinny kids, but, you know, we got belted and, you know, we did the best to give it back to whoever belted us, you know. So mm. uh, I'm not saying it was toughened us up at all. Well, probably a little bit. But we, we, we just, you know, we, we, we took the hard knocks and, um, and we played the, the way that we, we played, actually played the game that we wanted to play. And I mean, that was a good thing about the couple of teachers um, that the coaches at Matter that, that they had a, they had a team. And we're not talking about just, just the Ellers. We're talking about a, the whole team. They just wanted to run the ball, you know, because that's the, the game, the way that we, we wanted to play. And, and the, the two teachers that were involved in Jeff was, was one of those. And, he just sort of let us go, and we played. We played touch football for you know three quarters of the, the session, and we'd have the uh, last set quarter of the session was a bit of a team run. So yeah. it was really enjoyable, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, and I think it came out on the field the way that we played, and that's the same thing that happened, you know, when we went to Ramick afterwards. Well, yeah, and look, that brings me to my kind of one of my next questions. So th- th- there's this period in Australian rugby where, and obviously, you know players and coaches, people who are observing Australia rise up in that period. I keep referring to this running rugby style and certainly Randwick appeared to, at its core, have that as almost like a sort of a, a key principle. You know, what is your sort of, in what is running rugby? How did it sort of evolve and become this um, this style that sort of almost seemed to just, you know, infuse well, every team? I mean, you talk about running rugby, I mean, yeah, we wanted to play the game. It's expansive, there's no doubt about that. But look, when we played at Ramick, I think, you know, Mark kicked the ball just as much as anybody else. But, uh, you know, he kicked it not for the sake of kicking it. When he kicked it, he gave, actually wanted to do something with it. So mm. uh, a high majority of the, the, the time that we did, a lot of our attacking rugby was from counter-attack a lot of the time as well, yep. where if teams, they, they kick the, the leather off at most of the rugby teams that you want to kick it back to us we're, we're, we're ready to go you know so it's the same thing at school we had we had six uh, Aboriginal kids in the back line and um, so as soon as they, the ball got kicked back to us we, we just wanted to run because we didn't have the ball's biggest set of forwards and um, it was hard to get the ball off them so when they gave it back to us that was the end of it so I mean, there's a lot of people that I run into nowadays and say that, you know, oh, we played it. I played against, this is ridiculous, isn't it? I played against you when we were kids. Like, I'm 60 now, 63. <laughs> and they want to relate this. I said, oh, yeah. So I, I said, I mean, how, how did you go? Oh, I think you beat us by about 50 or something like that. And I said, oh, that's good. How did you play? <laughs> so I get this, like, on a daily basis, nearly, you know. So, but, you know, we, we I think why it stands out because, we supported each other. We, mm. we we passed the ball. We didn't pass the ball like a good spiral pass. So that was nice. And didn't start walking. We we were filthy. We didn't involved in a, a good try that you didn't have your hands to pass or catch or to be yeah. part of it. You know because it was always good. So we passed the ball and we chased each other like there was no tomorrow. You know we wanted just to be involved in in, in everything that uh, that we could do. So mm. I mean when when we you know, we played a lot of competitions. I've been fortunate to win, you know, 10, so, yeah, yeah 10 out of 12 first-grade premierships at Randwick. So, you know, can't, can't complain about it. We must have been doing something right. Yeah, no, it's a hell of a record. I, I, I remember um, I, I interviewed um, Sir Clive Woodward um, during this sort of 
documentary yeah, that's right. been making. And he um he actually I asked him about because I was very interested in his history of playing club rugby in Australia and what his thoughts are. And one of his Thanks, first man. observations, yeah, well, he said it was it was so br- he just said it was so physical. It was not as physical yeah. as that when he played club rugby in in England. But um, the other thing he said he remembered very vividly was playing um, against Randwick and playing against you and your brothers and Campo and Eddie and all these people. But he he said what he remembered because I think he he played fly half inside centre right. is how close you guys stood. And he said, you know, Mark would almost be a couple of metres away from me on attack. And it was all about just bringing the balls close to the line and, and making passes. Is that is that a rugby league influence? Or is that just sort of a style or a way you guys thought, you, you know, you wanted to play right in the opposition's faces? Well, that's, that's the way that we got taught, um, especially with with uh, Jeff, Jeff Mould, obviously, a coach that um, uh, the, the, he's looking at the old... Old Wallabies or New South Wales teams and, and ex uh, Wallaby teams, and that's the way that they used to play. I mean, you know, the theory behind standing is flat and close is putting pressure on the opposition. Um, when I say that, that we've got the ball and we, we're going to put them under pressure, they have to make a defensive uh, decision straight away um, because, you know, the attacks, us being the attackers on top of them straight away, so they've got to make some decisions. And, and we had, we had, you know, we had players like Lloydy, who's inside centre, and Mark and Gary. That mm. you know, we we called the ball, we demanded the ball. So if I called the ball out wide, or Gary called the ball, you passed to him because he's in a better position to you. Yeah. So look, really basic stuff, but basic stuff that you know that seemed to be locked in, lost in the game today. So I suppose that's a question: is is, is do you th- do you think the running style, running rugby, quote unquote, is it? Is it possible to do it today with the modern defences we have? And I know the, the Wallabies in recent years have been um, criticised for running the ball too much. I think maybe, perhaps some of it would argue they did too much of it last week. But, you know, is it something well, that has just become virtually impossible to play that style? Well, today? it is. You've got to have people that played it. I mean, we, we grew up playing like that. It's different. It's hard to, to get a team, you know, Say you got a wallaby team and you bring them together to play this type of game. You know, if you haven't played that way, it's very hard to play. You know, because you know you have to be 100 fit as well. well. I can't believe I'm saying that because I didn't use to train that hard. But <laughs> you know, you've got to be you've got to be really fit and you've got to be able to um, um, play under extreme pressure. Well, I mean, you're playing close to the the defensive line. You know, you, you've got to be able to react under pressure and. And that's a good thing about it. we had people who under enormous pressure, you know, you're going to pass the ball, you're going to get belted. Mm. Um, but we're able to pass the ball or do a kick or play a, a set piece, knowing that you're going to get belted after you pass the ball. But, you know, the, the benefit's going to be that you're going to be, you know, your team's going to be 50 or 60 metres down the field by the time you get up. So, yeah, um, that's the thing with with, with us. We, we trained and we put ourselves under pressure of training every session that – that 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 we 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 train the most of the time that we you know because we put under that that pressure that that training that that'll react the same thing at in in a game situation. Yeah, I, I do. Um, it does make me consider the time that um when Eddie Jones was co- coach of of Japan and of course J- Japanese perhaps not being the biggest players on the field they they seem to kind of you know institute a kind of a strategy of 
of moving the ball quickly, you know, getting in and out of contact quite quickly. And yeah, I don't know, just, are there fingerprints of the, the old the old style that perhaps Eddie was influenced by that came through his, <laughs> his time in Japan, do you think? Oh, yeah, without doubt. I mean, I, oh, it was funny because um, in, in, in 86, I think it was, yeah, 86 after the uh, World Cup. Uh, let me think about this now. Uh, so 87 is the World Cup, 86 is the... 87 the World Cup. So, yeah, so after the World Cup, I, I went to... Um, I ended up coaching in England and then as I was coming back to England, um, I get a call from the Japanese rugby union to say, you want to come over and do a bit of coaching, you know? So I said, yeah, that's no, no problem. And the week before um, um, I've left for leaving for Japan, they said, do, do you know a forge coach you want to come over? And I said, well, you've got the best forge coach sitting in Japan, Eddie was in a place called Tokai University. Yeah. Catch a university team. So we we connected up at that stage then and and catched uh, with the, the Japanese team. And then um, I went back and did some other coaching and then Eddie got uh, then went from the Japanese straight to the, the Brumbies and mm. that was the end of it. Coaching in Japan, I want to just finish on your playing career, but while you brought it up, I'm just interested in coaching Japan, you know, culturally, obviously Japanese, huge sort of work ethics and probably you know, I'm, I'm imagining very, very good at, you know, doing things at a very highly efficient level and, and on taking instruction. Was that your experience when you were, you know, working there? Uh, yeah, yeah we, 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 without doubt. But, I mean, trying to, trying to break them down a little bit and to play – What's in front of them instead of being they're they're really regimented. They you know they're very good if you tell them this is what I want you to do and don't do anything else. But to be expansive and play how you feel is hard. But mm. I mean we we had them for a couple of years and I think by the end of it you know we had them we had them cooking. They were they were flying, um, uh, and it was no surprise that you know by the time that Eddie got over there and they beat South Africa. All those years ago, and you know that they played such a good game. They was yes, very fast. Got the ball off the deck really quickly and run the uh, run the Jap- sorry, run the South Africans around, and mm. they just couldn't keep up with them at the end of the day. So, I, I actually yeah. thought personally that their performance at the twenty nineteen World Cup surpassed that. I mean, as as big as it yeah. was to 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 beat the the Springboks. The, the way they played in 2019, you get out of the pool, but to play consistently and knock off just about, well, you know, okay, they, they f- fell short against Africa again, but they, they didn't look too yeah. bad for a while there. Um, no, no, they certainly did. So, they, they, you know, they, they're slightly getting better. And, I mean, who knows? Eddie might be back there to, to, to you know, get him going again. Yeah. You don't think he'll take there's, – there's talk about him returning to Australia. Do you think that's likely? No, I don't think so, mate. I think they've done their dash. Mm. He holds it off. I don't know if it's a grudge or anything, but, you know, like, mate, who knows what he's going to freaking do, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's going to be really interesting in the next 18 months because it feels as though there's a the usual story, I guess, is a bunch of coaches that are all, you know, you you see what's happening in New Zealand and, you know, Eddie the, the, the was sort of getting a bit of heat earlier in the year and now he sort of seems to be okay and, you know, South Africa with the sort of almost losing to – it just seems every coach 18 months out from a World Cup is going through that, <coughs> that, that period yeah, of, exactly. uh, of, of where a board is is sort of you know, testing the faith. Yeah, it is. 
Um, but your playing career, just quickly, because I, you know, I want to just you know, ask you, you, you know, you played. Um, I, I remember I was just sort of reading about your debut in Brisbane, which um, was was uh, you know obviously a, a magnificent moment for you to play for your country. Um, how how did you sort of feel when you when you got to that 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 uh, uh, that sort of top level? And obviously you're playing there with you know your, your brother um, alongside you. Yeah, look, that was good. I mean, the thing about it when when Bob Dwyer was coach rang up and said, "Oh, we've selected to play at Ballymore against Scotland." I said, "Oh, mate, pick me for the next test, mate." Like going to going to Ballymore, and because you know I played in front of Roger Gould and and Mark was uh, Paul McLean, like they got the shafted for us to. Uh, this is not going to be really that, that good, so. Uh, that's 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 the way it was. I mean, you know, there's a couple of good incidents and good things, and obviously a few bad things. But you know, it's, it's still that when regardless of all that, you know, playing for your country, you're still playing for your country. So it's, yeah, it was a it was a great great event. I mean, you know, there's a couple of times where you know a couple of plays that me and Mark have done in our sleep that just went wrong. I remember coming through with my ball. I was running the fresh air and then Mark smashed his ball straight up my head. Uh, you know, and then you, then you drop a high ball and then freaking hell, the Scottish, the Queenslanders are all over us and booing us and all that type of thing. So, yeah. Still, still good. I mean, yeah, but, you know, I thought, oh, no, Bob, don't do this to us, please. Anyway, that's I guess that's the thing. You look at um, what players go through today with, you know, social media and things that, and the pressures they have to yeah. put up with you. You know, obviously it's hard if you say you haven't been a player today, but do you, do you think you guys had it easier that you didn't have to have sort of a 24-hour um, focus on your life as guys uh, do today? Well, look, without, without doubt, like, there's no doubt about that. I mean, that's crazy what, what happens today and, mm. you know, some people like it, most people don't, I think. But that's, uh, that's the way it is. But, you know, we didn't have any... You know, especially when we were travelling and stuff like that, there was never any, any. Um, sorry, we've just got a dog walking. Um, right. You know, there was no. We, we didn't have you know the the iPhones and stuff like that, where you could you know take photos and send it to you know different people around the world and stuff like that. We'd have we'd have, we'd have been dead if that was the case. But you know, there's there's just too much pressure that's put on from social media on you know all sportsmen expectations and stuff like that. You know, you, you don't need that. You need to just concentrate on what you what, what you're doing in training and what you're doing in life without uh, having all these other people. You yeah. know, giving their five cents of what they should what they should be doing. I look at players from that era. I mean, you guys, you mentioned before Mike Mike Connor, I think, and. Um... I guess Brett Patworth, the, the two people that come to mind, they ended up crossing, go, go converting, becoming rugby league players. Was, yeah. was that something that was always like, you know, every season or so you'd, you'd get an offer or someone would kind of come and whisper in your ear? Yeah. When we come back from the Australian schoolboys, uh, you know, we, we, we sat a couple of times with, with uh, executives of clubs and, you know, because as I said, we were, we were basically rugby league players, so it wasn't that we had to learn the game. We knew the game, um, but you know the, the thing. What, what what we always say that you know rugby, you, you can't travel around the world like we did with rugby. You know we've been to the Queen a couple of times in Buckingham Palace. You, you can't do that. We've been playing rugby league and 
you know, these experiences we've had and we continue at, you know, we've been to many, many, many countries playing rugby and have friends everywhere that we've gone through that you just can't, can't buy that. Yeah, we had no money. Our parents had no money. So that money would have been good. But we thought, you know, the experiences we, we, we having, we had and we're having that you just can't, can't buy. Was it, was it easy for you to sort of, um, you know, make that transition um, knowing that, you know, really coaching was sort of a, you know, you, uh, there was, there's a future in it, but obviously you can coach around the world or was it, you know, did it take you and others around you a bit of a while to figure out how your life could change once, you know, this became a sort of professional career? Yeah, yeah probably. I mean, uh, as it went professional, um, um, obviously it was, you know, how do, how do we take advantage of this? I mean, we were still playing the game and, Obviously, we were getting older, we'd, and we'd missed that boat in terms of being able to sustain a wage or, you know, a career in in, in the game. Um, I think that, you know, I think we just went to coaching because, you know, we still enjoyed what we were doing and we thought we'd just pass on whatever knowledge that, that we had and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, good players don't often make uh, good coaches, so you still got a lot of hard work to do and, and, you know, the younger players then that, that you're trying to teach, you know, sometimes they, they just don't want to know or they don't want to learn. They think that they know everything. And mm. I remember Bob Dwyer saying that, you know, everyone needs to be coached. It doesn't matter of what level you are. If you're a David Campese or Mark Gallagher, you still need to be coached. So mm. um, just trying to instill that in with the players that, that I've coached that, you know, when we're here not to just to, make up some time we're here to teach you that things there might be a little bit more things that you, you don't already know or especially when you're under a bit of pressure what do you do after that so that's what we're here to do but like i enjoyed the coaching gig has taken me around the world as well so i mean that's the great thing about rugby you can virtually travel anywhere doing anything you want yeah and i mean look even even today it feels like now there's more it must be more gigs because there's just more um there's more teams and more competitions, professional competitions cropping up around the world with say the U S and all these people. Is there, um, I mean, at the moment you've sort of, you're, you're obviously based in, in Australia and I know you do work with your organization, spirit sports. You, you do a bit of work with the, the AFL. Is that right? Well, I, I did. I worked, <clears throat> I worked with the AFL for three years and I've mm. just sort of finished, uh, probably about a month ago, but it was more not on, in terms of the code. It was an education employment program that, uh, you know, I looked after a lot of Aboriginal kids and made sure that they uh, got into some uh, employments in terms of the traineeship and, mm. and made sure that they'd finished. But, um, you know, the AFL, they, they've just got everything covered. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're the most professional, you know, on, on and off the field that uh, any code that, I've, that I know about, to be honest with you, they've got everything from, you know, the start to go, start to finish, whether you want to play or you want to just be an administrator or you want to do anything, they're great. I, I I think I've mentioned to you before when um years ago when I picked up rugby in WA and we had a um a kid at our school he was um from Port Hedland um Aboriginal kid he played Aussie rules his whole life and I think he's the, yeah. the 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 head uh, the school boarding master convinced him to play rugby and of course yeah. the minute he picked up a rugby ball he was dynamite and we had a video session once and we were watching um the game the the, the 1984 um grand slam right. and of course your brother's on on it and and he was he was he couldn't believe it because and, and i quote he just said i didn't know black fellas played this game 
yeah, which, which you know, right. I, I laughed at the time, but it, it you know, it strikes me as quite uh, unbelievable, really, because this was not mid nineties, and by that stage, um, you know, the exposure that was just not out in WA, let alone probably the rest of the world around players. Do do you think? I guess the question is: Is do you think that rugby missed a trick in not being able ah. to access Indigenous talent? through you, your brothers and, and promoting the game to, to those corners of Australia? A hundred percent. Like, it's just, it's, it, it still annoys me today. Like, it annoys me every day and my brothers mm. that there's only 14 Aboriginal kids that are representing Australia. You know, like, it's just unheard of. Yeah. And I say, you look at the AFL, you look at the NRL. I mean, how many, if you mm. pick the 50 best players, I reckon 40 of them would be Indigenous people, players, you know? They just they they relied on on the private school boys to get them across the line, you know. And now they're trying to now they're trying to get that many Aboriginal kids into into the you know the private schools now through scholarships and stuff like that. But I mean, they they missed the boat there. Well, I guess that's the question: is you know, is it still too late? Because it, it strikes me as not just an issue with sort of you know, say trying to get Indigenous kids, but also public schools you know that that has gone away and you know you if you're a half decent kid at a club or a public school you'll get a scholarship and be at a private school um you know in a couple of years i mean you you look at the the public schools that we used to play against then they say there was over i think there's about eight schools that we used to play against on a regular basis there's only one of those schools now that actually plays rugby yeah um and you know even if you look at um, look, we are looking at investigating on how we can, you know, st- stimulate or get more Aboriginal kids to participate. But, you know, you, you look at the, the the kids in the bush, mate, and this is not just Aboriginal, this is non-Aboriginal, where, you know, one stage with the Wallabies before we were playing that, you know, I reckon they would have had four or five players from New South Wales country. Yeah. Uh, for the Wallabies, you know, you, unfortunately, if you want to play for anybody, you've got to come into the cities now because the, you know, the the, the game in the bush is is struggling. Um, you know, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to a, a match, a local match down here, Solhaven versus Kiama tomorrow. Just and I'll sit in the rain just to you know support the, the local team. I don't know. I, I know one player. That's about it. But uh, I'd still be good to sit down and watch a rugby, but. You know, it's very hard for anyone outside of the the, the, the biggest cities and the, the private schools to get picked now. Yeah, and I, I, you know, my, my whole thing, you know, the reason I've been doing this doco and this podcast is is been looking at kind of not just, you know, what's gone, gone wrong in Australian rugby in the last few decades, but sort of what, what the sort of future solutions could be, you know, and where are areas that we could sort of, you know, take things back and, and try to improve upon it. And I guess sort of, you know, looking at it from your perspective as a former player in uh, coach and now obviously somebody who's working in, you know, in a sort of consultancy and mentoring role and you're still very yeah. heavily involved, you know, what do you think are the most critical parts of, of where, you know, where rugby needs to try and address the game in, in Australia? Uh, I, I, I do actually do get asked this a lot, a lot. You know what's happening with this with rugby. You know why we've gone bad and all that type of thing. And it's, for, it's unfortunate that when the when the Wallabies are going really well, rugby's really popular. Mm. It's just the way it is. You know, people in Australia like to follow teams that are successful, but we haven't been successful for 
for quite a while. I mean, uh, it's, it's a hard question. I don't know where to start because, yeah. you know, people are saying grassroots, which is probably right. Um, you know, the, the thing about Australian rugby, we've got no money. You know, they, they, they haven't got enough money to do what they they want to do or the, what they should do, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know what they did with their 23 or $28 million they got from the 2003 Rugby World Cup, but what what they've done, I mean, we've, oh, I don't know. I've got, to start thinking, I've got to think about this. That was a question that I hope we wasn't going to get because it's just not an easy question to answer. I, I, mate, I don't think it, anyone can answer. I mean, I've been asking this question and I've asked it of a number of people and I think everyone has a different response. Um, and I think my, my only kind of query about, you know, yes, we need money. And this is where I go back to the time that you yeah. played. You know, Australian rugby came of age in the 80s and um, 90s it, it, before it was fully professional. It didn't have money to match league and afl it certainly didn't have the grassroots or the domestic exposure you know it relied solely on the wallabies but despite right. all that you know and despite losing wallabies to you know the other code and, and presumably you know countless juniors that never made it through because they went and played league we still became you know we still did grand slams one in new zealand got a couple of world cups beat the lions um you know and so for me if, if it was all about money and if it was all about having everyone in the country playing rugby. Um, yeah. Know, yeah, that probably would help. But we I mean, did, we did I, once do it with, in spite of all the challenges. Well, I suppose that, you know, you're looking at when you say that, that we, we played a better, more of an attractive game, regardless of what we were, when we were playing. And then obviously after that with Campo and you're looking at Timmy Horn and thinking Jason Little and all the way that those, those guys played, played, played as well. Um. If, if I was a kid sitting on the fence and saying, well, we're watching the, the other codes, well, I want to play rugby in if I watch AFL and, 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 and everyone, I go, no, I probably wouldn't, to be honest with you. Mm. Because the, the, the game, the game is, is too complicated. We've got too many laws, laws that are stupid that we, we should get. If you look at, uh, you know, the English test, I think it might have been in Queensland where, you know, guys legitimately trying to intercept the ball, not to yeah. knock it down. And they get masked off the field. Like, you know, I look, people look at me and go, what was that for? I said, I don't want to know. Yeah. And then you got the scrum, scrum collapses and stuff like that. We spent so much time on resetting scrums and stuff like that. It's just boring, you know. And, and you know, I was talking to him, we're sitting with Mark and Eddie up at in Queensland. And, like, Mark, I don't think he watches a game. Yeah. I don't think he's watched a game. You know, and Gary, I speak to Gary. Gary hardly watched. So I, I couldn't tell you the last time, besides obviously the test matches, how many games I've watched from go to woe. And it'd yeah. be probably one one in the last two or three years. I mean, and, and this is not just, just me, this is other people and um, other wallabies that I that I really you know chat with occasionally and they, they just they just don't like the game the way it's gone. Probably because it's too structured and it's and the laws are, as I said, are probably killing it as well. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because I, I I've sort of I think I spoke with um uh, earlier earlier in the what was it last year now um Barry Honan who um yeah. has Barry, done a yeah. lot, lot of work on yeah. on uh, analysis and and he's examined it and he said you know there was a real distinct change in the mid 
uh, or late 90s when um, rucks became a lot more, um, the user to lose it law, I think, came in. And so malls became, you know, less less frequent but also you know the, the number of rucks that they increased and you could you can almost pinpoint the, the the time at which the style of the overall game really did start to to shift and obviously defenses that yeah. time got a lot better um you know That's- is it possible to kind of look at it from an administrator's point of view or world rugby point of view and go back and go right well you know this is what we need to do you know here, here's one or two changes we could make to somehow bring back a bit more game time uh, so that people aren't dropping off. Well, look, I, I think the referees. I'm not, no, I'm not just pounding on them all the time, but the referees should referee to the spirit of the game. Mm. If there's if there's an obstruction or someone's offside or doing something they shouldn't be doing and should be penalised, if they've got nothing to you know nothing involved with the immediate play, let it let it just keep on going. Mm. Don't bring bring it back and, uh, you know, penalise them because there was a little infringement that had nothing to do with the with the game. I mean, the thing that annoys me too, just this is my personal stuff, that we have an advantage. It goes for 15 phases. Mm. You know, if you don't score in 15 phases, you've got to come back in there and have a penalty. Like, I'd give them freaking five or six phases. If you don't do anything decent with the five or six phases, right, it's just play on, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? You know, I was at the test match on Saturday. I would say last Saturday, the last and I got people sitting around me who have some idea of rugby. And they just said, "Glenn, what's what's that about? Why, why is that?" I, go, I don't know. Don't ask me. I've no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, it's, it's becoming frustrating. You know, like and it's probably frustrating for the players out there as well because yeah. you know they're going, "Well, what the hell is going to my best?" But and yes, I understand that we have to be careful about the high shots and stuff like that. There's no issue with that, but you know, if if there's malice in the tackle, then that's definitely got a you, you've got to march him without doubt. But if there's just accidental the head clashes and accidental things, you know, when skies are going slipping and going down, and you hit him high again. There's no malice in it, and there's just accidental. Like, just let's keep on going. You know, as soon as you send a player off, it just kills the game, yeah. and inevitably. Game, there's someone getting sent off, whether it's sin bin or sent off red cards. So. It's now a rarity to watch a game and not not see a card. Where it was yeah. once once upon a time, the complete opposite. That's um, right. Uh, so I, you know, I have other you know other codes that mates have played different different games, and they're going, "Gee, that ball that killed the game." You know what? What do I need to do that for? But as I said, if it's Actual malice in the way the guy is trying to really do some harm. Again, no problem, mate. The the, the series that just went down. I, I should mention it was um it's it's been renamed now the Mobzella Trophy. Um, to to have you know your family name on a on a on a trophy, which you know let's face it should should hopefully be something that will win in the years to come. <laughs> but you know how how does that feel? Well, it's stayed after the the others, but it's only after my uh, my my twin brother. So, I mean, Gary, Gary was a bit peed off that you know that I was really sorry. I, I thought it, I thought it was named after the three. Of you. Uh, uh, you're right, you're right, and that's what I thought it was, and that's where Eddie was ringing me up to say oh, it's going to be named after you guys, but it's yeah. it's not. It's basically after Mark, and I mean, I'm nothing against my brother, but he hasn't done anything in terms of any type of rugby for thirty years. Yeah, right. I know he's a good. Gary and 
busting his ass trying to get more people to play, Aboriginal people to play, and all that type of thing, and coaching and all that type. Of, anyway, so <laughs> okay, so, but, so yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's a well, well, I, I mean, look, I, I think, I think it's you know, someone, you know, it was people debating, oh, why do you need to rename it? And I'm like, well, you know, it, yeah. it, after all, at the end of the day, trophies for sports should probably be named after people from those sports. I, th- I always feel like that's a usually a bit of a um, bit of a, a big thing. But it, it's interesting when I was looking at, uh, I didn't know who Mobs was. Edgar Mobs was um, wow. in in the First yeah. World War. Um, it, we tragically died um, there. Yeah. Um, but it yeah. did make me think about the the classic Wallaby um, uh, Cecil Romali. I was curious to know, did yes. you ever meet Cecil Romali? No, no, I didn't. But we, we knew about him. After afterwards, mm. well, I went afterwards through his through his family, and he he was uh, he was the the first well the first Aboriginal person to play for the Wallabies. Yeah, is that the same guy we're talking about. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating. I mean, if anyone listening that doesn't know, look it up. It is not just a you know he played for the Wallabies, but then um, he enlisted, um, and his mother. Yeah. I think he had a, a an Indian father and an Aboriginal mother. Yeah. Um, yep. and uh, hence Romali, which is a very Indian name. And he, um, but he ended up being a prisoner of war, was in Japan when, um, when they dropped right. the bomb. That's, ex- that's exactly, exactly right. So, yeah, well, I met, met the family, but he didn't, apparently, he didn't recognize or come out to say he was Aboriginal. I, I don't know, whatever. I mean, you look at, uh, yeah, so that's, yeah. But, uh, Mate, my, my first my first my first reaction is why has this not been made into a a, a movie yet? <laughs> well, it could be exactly exactly yeah. So you know, Lord McDermott, he was, and we say that he was the first uh, Aboriginal to be recognised as a, a rugby player or an Aboriginal player. Yeah. So, anyway. and, but yeah, and, good story. It's a great story. Oh, it's just you know, it's it's yeah, it's got everything. I, I, look, honestly, I'll probably off offline to chat to you about because I've already sort of had a few ideas about it. You know, I think I might documentaries are one thing, but uh, I've always uh, you know, movies, feature films are sort of you know, always you know, easier your first love when you're into filmmaking. Um, and, and with rugby as well, it's a perfect fit. We met the uh, the, the family. I met them last year when saw a couple of years ago playing up in. Queensland, when they played with the Indigenous Jumper for the first time, mm. I met uh, met somebody's family there. Like it was, and I didn't know anything about it. And yeah, Gary right. said, "Well, I guess a great story. Like so in awe of what he what he'd done and under the, you know coming through those circumstances and the war and everything else like that. Prisoner mm. wars, just a good story." Um, with, with 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 changing things back to the, I guess the series with England, so. Um, obviously, it was a tough. It's a tough loss, you know, because any any big series loss like that in Australia is always hard to like, you know, yeah. excite, excite people. But um, I, I'm sort of then reminded also of the fact back in 2016 when when England had the whitewash, you were on the other side working with um, England as an attacking coach. What was that experience yeah. like? Uh, look, it was it was unbelievable. Like, because I've been out of the uh, the main main rugby, you know. Yes. Channels for for a while, and then you know they get the call from Eddie. I mean, it, I look to be honest, and I say this all the time. I, I didn't do that much with, with them because they come off for of Six Nations and stuff like that, and 
that's different if you've uh, been there over in England and been cashing in for a long time. You know, it was just the more of the things, trying to adapt them to the, the climate out here and, you know, what are the players are going to do and, you know, what we're going to do to combat what they were going to do, all that type of things. But, you know, catching up with uh, some of them players on over when they when they were here just recently, you know, with Owen Farrell and and Taj and you know, you're looking at big uh, Courtney Laws and stuff like that, like and uh, you know, Genji and stuff like that. It was good, good to catch up with them. It was mm-hmm. just laughed our heads off, a bit of a fun, and you know, big big Billy and uh, Marco and. You know, we had we had a bit of a laugh and a giggle and stuff like that. So, and I, you know, I couldn't believe, you know, six years ago, just freaking a world. Where Is where's it? the time gone? Yeah, but they were right. really, you know, very professional. I mean, look, looking at you know, again, there was a little bit of of, of press during that week where, um, you know, that. Eddie had obviously taken the, the team out to his old stomping grounds, and I think he had a couple of events at Randwick. England yeah, and Eddie, cool. Eddie, Eddie especially, they, they, looked, they looked quite comfortable, um, you know, given it's a, an away series where, you know, traditionally teams usually feel a bit more out of their depth or, you know, a little more, they might get a more hostile environment. Uh, it just seemed like the opposite for England. Ah, uh, yeah, well, we, we, we did that in 16 as well. We went into, into Coogee after the first test uh, uh, in, in Brisbane uh, when we played up there and like it was it's just a good environment down there it's a lot more casual and it's not in the city and you know it's close to the water and all that that goes with it so Eddie knows and, and they've got a great training venue just down the road so Eddie knows that that's a good place and look he knows his players he knows what what they're capable of doing you know they didn't play that well um, in Perth, a big opportunity with uh, you know playing against the short-staffed Australian team, and they just they they stuffed it. They, so that's the one game they should have won, and mm. uh, they probably shouldn't have won the last, the last two. But you know, yeah. just that's just the way it is. Australia, Australia had opportunities, and they just couldn't take them. And that's the thing between good teams: when the opportunities there, you've got to nail it, and uh, they just didn't have that 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 ability to do that. Yeah. Do you think teams now, I mean, you know, you've got like a World Cup coming up and obviously there's a there's still a lot of things, you know, there's a tour to Argentina, there's, you know, obviously the, the, the Bledisloe and the rugby championship, all this rugby to be played. But, you know, the the classic, con, you know, when, when we have press conferences and coaches always and places say, oh, you know, we're only focusing on next week. You know, is that yeah. actually true or is there always in the back room a real thought of, all right, how are we going to actually perform in 18 months in France? Like, how do we get there? What's the roadmap? Do you, do you think that's sort of going to be something that they're going to be starting to really uh, pin, pin down now? And that's and that started three weeks ago when England were coming. You know, there was probably like uh, in 16, there was expectations Australia winning 3-0. Yeah. Um, it was very, you know, they hadn't done... When they came in 16, they, were, they won the Six Nations. And when they came out this time, well, they were come second, didn't they? Something like that. Yeah. Oh they, no, they, they, ah, I think. Yeah, no, I think they did. They, they won a couple of games, but I think they ended up fourth. Maybe I could be, could be wrong there, but yeah. So expectations of the Australian public, and if I was part of their coaching thing, that you know we're gonna we're gonna roll these guys, and that's mm-hmm. and that'll be the start of the lead up into the World Cup and moving to the you know the 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 other tri nations and all that type of thing, and. The, <laughs> 
you know, they won that first test and they thought, oh, here we go, this is going to be good. And then, lo and behold, they get beaten the next two and that set them back on their backside again. So they've got to start afresh again. And while we, the Australian public had great expectations and deservedly as well, um, and it didn't come to fruition. So um, they've done one step forward and three steps backwards. Yeah. I've talked, um, I, I sort of, um, you know, in recent months, I've sort of released a video and it's actually a big part of the documentary where um, we look at cohesion and the influence of it. Um, I talk with Wallaby Ben Darwin, who has a sports yeah, analytics ben. company. You probably know Ben and his work. And, um, and, and in fact, it's funny when I, I had a, a chat, a follow-up chat with him and we were talking about, you know, how cohesion is achieved. Sometimes it's naturally achieved. Sometimes it's by design. And obviously, you know, one of the most, you know, natural things is say having <laughs> three brothers you know could be could be the ellers it could be the barretts who who grow up yeah. and sort of play together and and form you know a bit of a spine of a backline but looking at australia and what has changed in in you know decades is that we we definitely had a system by which there was a lot of cohesion through the sydney and brisbane club rugby into the yeah. provincial teams and that's sort of been undone yeah. is this sort of something that you sort of see or, or, or have heard about and, and do you think it's something that we can somehow sort of address because I think it, it, it feels to be at odds commercially with growing the game because if you want to grow the game and Rugby Australia are talking about trying to get maybe, you know, a domestic comp with more teams, that's going to uh, have to result in spreading more players around. You know, you have to take talent out of Sydney and take it down to Melbourne well, or Perth or Adelaide or wherever they want to. Uh, well, it's, it's, it was, you know, when we used to, you know, you talk about those World Cups and, you know, letters, layers, and all that type of thing. We used to basically just be Queensland and New South Wales. Yeah. And now we expanded it to the Brumbies and then the Melbourne and then the South of Western Australia. And we were, <laughs> I, you know, and uh, that comes out to say, you know, we've got more p- people playing a higher level, but, you know, is our rugby got better from that? You know, are we, are we a better country from that? So it's a, it's a bit of give and take on whether it's good that we should keep probably the better players playing in a tighter competition or we spread them out like we have around Australia and, and you know, hopefully that they'll get better. So, you know, that's, that's still got to come to fruition as well. But, you know, you know, it's not like we in New Zealand where we've got five or six of their top franchises and they're all freaking uh, up until they got beaten on the weekend over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, that they, they've been the the the, the benchmark for, for so long the the, the Kiwis, um, you know they they've just got such good quality players in every position. And they can pick five or six people in every position and just be the same thing. But obviously that might be changing now. Obviously with uh, their defeat uh, against Ireland. It is quite something to, to to see, you know, them lose one. Let's face it, it's only one series um, against That's Ireland, right. and and it and it feel it certainly sounds like they think the world is going to end. <laughs> Whereas, you know, like if, if I, I sort of said this to someone, I said, look, I think if New Zealand for, for New Zealanders, a series lost to Ireland is is terrible. To me, what is terrible would be losing to Ireland, losing the Bledisloe. Maybe you know winning only one out of four games at the end of season tour, like that's a terrible season, surely. Yeah. But it just well, is not the New Zealand mindset. 
No, especially when they beat them at home. It's different if you go over there and get beat, got beaten. But mm. be beaten in New Zealand, that's a massive effort. Well done to the, uh, the Irish. Just looking around the world and, you know, obviously, you know, the game is starting to grow in, in sort of parts of Europe and, and Latin America. And, and, and do, you, do you think sort of rugby sort of what more, what further growth could it have in Australia? You know, I think are, are there parts of the country where, you know, say, you know, WA, I think there's no league, for instance. So, you know, I think there is a potential to grow rugby a bit more there. Perhaps it won't surpass AFL, but there's certainly um, an area to to grow it. But it certainly seems to be a, a narrative you keep hearing that, you know, rugby is expanding overseas, but in Australia it's sort of been um, stagnated. But do you think there are parts of the country and communities where we could, you know, grow it further or even get back that interest that used to be there? I mean, the thing about AFL, it's a... It's a- it's a national sport, mm-hmm. and you look at NRL. It's mainly just the Eastern Seaboard. Where rugby, what we've got an advantage over those two sports is rugby is a global sport. Yeah. You know, it's played it's played in hundreds of countries all around the world. You can go anywhere and you can get a game of rugby. Um, I think that you know, and that's what we should be working on and trying to build build it up. I, I agree. We should be encouraging states and investing in states that, uh, you know, rugby is a shape for uh, a game for all shapes. Mm. So you don't have to be an athletic, you know, six foot four, be able to run, you know, 100 metres in 15 seconds, 10 seconds or something like that. You could be a prop, you could be a back row or, or whatever. So we need to sell to sell our game a little bit more. But again, what I, I think what I said a bit earlier is that um, the game gets bogged down in... In, in, in the rules and, you know, the refereeing and stuff like that. It just, it's just not interesting enough for people that want to play it anymore. And that's what we need to do. We need to, we need to have a national team that's killing everybody uh, and playing really well. And, and people want to say, well, I want to be a Wallaby. Like you were born in New Zealand. Guess what? Mm. You want to be an All Black. Yeah. And, and at that age, we haven't got that, that desire for people to want to play the game. Yeah, well, it will be interesting to see what happens. I think there's a bit of a watch this space because obviously Rugby Australia are planning things. They're trying to, you know, I sort of agree with, I definitely agree with you. I don't think they have enough money for what they intend to do. But then with that said, you have, you know, some some hope on the horizon in terms of the World Cup in five years' time or two World Cups, men's and women's and, and a Lions series. Um, you know, are those sorts of events that you think will be kind of, almost critical in terms of, you know, getting the maximum exposure and, and turning that into... Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, thinking about with the, with the Rugby World Cup and even the Lions Tour, because I've been involved with a couple of Lions Tour, mm. just, they just, because they, they, the Lions travel, they, the supporters travel. And I mean, when they come into Sydney and Brisbane and stuff like that, there's, you know, they've got the red, red and whatever colours they have. And I remember the couple of the leagues that I'm, my men's friends are, I know, and they go, I can't believe how many people have come from all overseas. That's yeah. right, because you can go overseas to play rugby league. <laughs> it's all in Australia. Yeah. And this is the thing about the game. So we need to sell it big time when these yeah. events when these events are on. You know, we will get packed houses, when the, especially when the lines are here. The yeah. place is going to be hard. They're going to bring in millions and millions and millions of dollars into our economy 
um, and you know, and that's what it is. So you know, some of these whether whether we get a couple of leagues, you know, championship, maybe in time for the next World Cup. Who knows? Do you, do you think? Do you think that is? I mean, there's 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 two arguments there. One is that yes, you've gotten you're getting top athletes that we've sort of missed out on who are coming across, um, and 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 injecting maybe something, maybe some a skill set that's that's not really present in other players. The other argument is that you're bringing in guys that are they don't have say the union background, so maybe their defences are not as good, their, their game awareness isn't as strong, uh, and oh, like potentially the- there might be a bit of um, you know, resentment amongst players that have been sort of, you know, in the system and trying to sort of, you know, yeah. Look, I, I, I agree with all that. And, you, yeah, and, you, and, you, and you're probably right. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, the guys that, uh, well, we're, we're getting some of our really good players poached on a, you know, yearly basis. They're in, they're in uh, private schools and all of a sudden, um, you know, you go to a under-16s or under-15s or Australian schoolboys um, you know, championship, and you've got every rugby league scout there, just waiting yeah. to uh, sample them up. And they, we, we've missed out on a lot of really good players because of, of that. Um, so, but Australia, as I said, with the rugby, we haven't got the the funds to be able to match what they're up against with the with the, with the rugby league. So, mm, mm. I don't know. Yeah, the, 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 all those things you said about you know people, but I'll be. I'll, Excuse the language. I'd be pissed off as well if I I got uh, kicked off uh, because of a rugby league play that the Australian Rugby Union board. Mm. No doubt about that. But they've got to come back and they've got to play in with the first before they get picked. You can't you can't pick them straight in the Wallaby squad. They've got to play for New South Wales or Queensland or the Force yeah. or wherever, wherever before in that. Well, it would be interesting to see how Vinavalu goes um, when he gets a bit yeah, of game time. I was personally a bit critical that he didn't um, come on a bit earlier in that third third game. I don't know what your thoughts were. No, I, I thought it'd be you know two having two big black blue people on the wings might have scared the freaking daylights out of me. <laughs> um, but you know they, I don't know, they they held him off. So I, I'd have put him on earlier than that. Because he did, he looked, he just looks a little bit out of sorts. But he, he needs to play more, more rugby. You know, he needs more mm-hmm. games. Look, I, I just lastly, Glenn, I want to, you know, I've sort of asked this question of a number of people, and again, it's one of those. It's a question probably with no easy answer. But you know, one of the, the real friction points I see in Australia is that rugby is, you know, it's administered by Rugby Australia, and you then have all the various states, and now even the. The, the provincial teams and of course then the clubs and the schools you, you basically got so many independent um actors and entities as opposed to afl which is very you know very much a pyramid and i guess nrl has a lot of control as well it, it, how do you sort of see that being rectified or you know how could we sort of bring all the different you know players and lobby groups together to sort of try to achieve what we all want which is you know, successful game, entertaining game, successful wallabies, and 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 more more bums <coughs> on seats and in in shorts. Yeah, good question. I mean, what what's even you like maybe a first few steps? You know, it's something uh, that could be rectified. That you think well, you can see immediate it, change? Everything starts from the top, so you've got to have a really good ARU or rugby strata, not ARU, but. You know, like, I mean, Queensland and New South Wales have never got on, so they've talked to mm-hmm. each other probably. 
you know, I said, they had this voting, and this is really crazy, how they vote for officials and stuff like that, where they gang up in other states and stuff like that. Well, I look, I don't know. It's, we're our own worst enemy most of the time. So mm-hmm. how do you fix that? Well, they just got to, you know, like grown people, get on with it and, you know, do the, do, do, do the best thing for the best thing of the country in Australia. Yeah. You know, don't, don't worry about it. Uh, you might be sacrificing a little bit in my state if I if we give this to you, but you know you got to look at the got to look at the big picture, not the small picture. I, I think that's 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 the biggest thing, and and you're right. It's just it's sacrifice. Unfortunately, people that have need to sacrifice have obviously been burnt before, or you know there's still that mistrust. But you know you just hope but that that's they, something they're going to try and address. You've got people in the in positions that are not rugby people. Look, I'm not saying that rugby people should be. To be everywhere, but you know they they're the high performance people who wouldn't know a good play if they freaking fell over one. You know, like and I won't say which states I'm talking about, but uh, you know they just I've got no idea, mm. no idea. So they they're in the position for the sake of being in the position, whether they know a lot about rugby or not. So anyway, well, Glenn, look. No, no, look, I don't, I don't want you to – it's funny. I've talked to a few people who have, you know, been very, very open, some who, who don't, and you probably know people I'm talking about here, you know, very forthright with their opinions, but I suppose they sometimes – they do sort of throw their hands up in the air because they say, look, I, you know, no one, no one seems to want to listen or no one seems to want to try and change. Oh, and I think that's certainly one thing I've, I've sort of found is that, you know – uh, we, you know, we, we should look back at – us older people, older people um, who've been been now down there. So you know, what, what do you think and stuff like that? But they just go ahead and they do whatever they think, and you know, it's got nothing to do with the game. Well, when I say nothing to do with the game, it doesn't do the game justice and what they're trying to do. You know, it's crazy stuff sometimes. Yeah. Well, look, I'll I'll um I'll wrap it up there. I appreciate it, and I look, I I hope that perhaps in the next who knows, a few years we'll sort of, you know, perhaps see you back involved in some way. I mean, I'd, I'd like to talk to you offline about a few things, but I, I know um, yeah. it's just, I do appreciate that you're, you know, sort of still involved until supporting the game and finding ways, you know, and I think that's probably for me, the silver lining is that despite rugby having its issues, you still have ex-players, ex-coaches, ex-administrators, and then just yeah. gen- general, you know, punters like myself who are, they're investing their time and their attention in trying to help the game keep growing and, and spreading the word. So I do, you know, appreciate the fact that you're doing what you can to 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 do that. Well, we need more people like yourself, mate. Like just you're. I'm not saying you're just only black, but you know, they're doing this and saying, you know, we could be better. We, especially you. You've spoken to a lot of people now, and you could, you could probably write it all down and you know say that this is a way that. These people have have commented about the way that the game is at the moment, which is not not helpful. Yeah, no. Look, it, it, look. It'll be the hopefully it'll be the the, the form the it'll form the basis of the documentary, which I have. I'm I'm I'm, I'm very. <laughs> I've been saying this for a few months now. I'm very very close to making an announcement. I'll probably be next week, um, and that you know that'll at least be a conversation starter, which is sort of what, what I always wanted it to be for people to maybe yeah, think could. a bit differently and just talk openly and, and who knows, maybe solutions will form, but they might take a little while to, 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 to take effect. But 
You know, yes. I just hope we just don't waste the opportunities we have with World Cups and Wines Tours and, you know, the the shift <laughs> in the world, the way it's happened. You know, there, there's opportunities there. I just hope we don't we don't lose them because they probably won't come back again. Like, like we did before. Anyway. Yeah. Well, mate, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave it there. I'll, um, I'll thank you very much for your time and uh, maybe, maybe we'll talk again one day. And, uh, but I no, wish you all the best with, uh, uh, with everything you're doing at the moment. Oh, buddy, no problem at all, mate. Thanks. See ya. Bye. This is the Gold Digger podcast series, a spin-off from the new feature documentary film, Gold Digger, The Search for Australian Rugby, which will be coming out very soon. Brought to you by me, director and host, Matt Durrant. Music from this episode is by Ryan Papahatsis and Brad Vanderlucht from Fade Out Audio and will feature in the upcoming film. Check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash golddiggerrugby and follow us on Instagram for pretty pictures and Twitter for banal chatter. Till next time, keep on digging.